My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm joined by my colleague, John Lederbach. Both of us are professors in the criminal justice program at Bowling Green State University. In this podcast, we're going to discuss our research on officer-involved domestic violence. And more specifically, let's begin with some background information on the problem and why we decided to conduct this research study. Right. Well, the primary reason was to bring to light a problem that's really been hidden from the point of view of researchers and practitioners. There's no comprehensive statistics on officer-involved domestic violence, and there's very limited prior research. Most of it's based on self-report surveys, which have its own unique problems in this respect. Some of those surveys do suggest, though, that OIDV, or domestic violence, within police families might be a problem that's more prevalent uh, than is true for the general population. There's also some unique problems for victims, obviously, and problems in reporting and having a police officer as the victimizer. The IACP recently, within the last decade, came out with the model policies, and in those policies they recognized that there was a problem with OIDV and that there was a lack of research on the problem. In terms of the research methods, this is a content analysis where we're looking at news articles that report the arrest of police officers within jurisdictions throughout the United States where they were arrested for one or more crimes. And and we define police officers as any sworn officers with the general powers of arrest at a non-federal agency. So that could be a county police officer, a deputy sheriff, a state trooper. It could also be a, a police officer with a special jurisdiction department such as a county park police agency or even a tribal nation police department. So in identifying the cases specifically dealing with officer-involved domestic violence, we realized early on that we weren't going to be able to identify the cases that we wanted to study solely based on the criminal charge. For example, in many states now there's a crime called misdemeanor domestic violence. However, that's a, a pretty new crime in most jurisdictions. Historically, in domestic violence situations, someone would be charged with assault, so either simple assault if it's a misdemeanor, aggravated assault if it's a felony. So we knew we weren't going to be able to look at the charge alone. For one reason, there seems to be some issues with preferential charging decisions, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. So what we decided to do was to use a more inclusive definition, which is the definition of family violence that's promulgated by the American Academy of Family Physicians. And in doing so, we were able to capture a good number of cases where officers had been involved in some sort of criminal activity where the incident was family violence related. So it was either a a significant other in terms of a spouse or a family member, that sort of thing. But a fairly inclusive definition, and it gave us a good sample of cases to work with. There were three or four primary findings we identified officers that were involved in some form of family or domestic violence. One of the things that came out of the research, the victims, and in terms of their characteristics, there's a broad range of victims. Only about one-third of the victims that we identified in our research were the actual current spouse of the officer. One-fourth of the victims were children. Obviously, this brings us back to our use of the inclusive definition of family violence. really highlighted the method in our work because we we were able to do the content analysis of the articles and to read who the victim was and so this inclusive definition speaks to the importance for researchers and practitioners to look beyond just the current spouse that that OIDV is a problem that involves victims including children beyond the traditional spousal relationships. 
Another finding is in relation to the charging decisions that we found on these cases. And often we found that the official charge against these officers did not reflect the underlying behavior. That is, they weren't charged with a simple assault offense. They were charged with something else. We are left to conjecture as to why that is. Obviously, these are police officers being arrested by police officers. And so we suspect some preferential charging decisions. We also suspect that there's uh, an influence here, the Lautenberg Amendment. Yeah, the Lautenberg Amendment was uh, enacted as a federal law in 1996 as an amendment to the Federal Gun Control Act of 1968, and it extends categories of offenses that would disqualify someone from being able to possess or own a firearm or ammunition another set of uh, crimes, and that is qualified misdemeanors of domestic violence. There's a fairly recent U.S. Supreme Court case that deals with this exact issue, and the court held in that case that the criminal offense charge does not need to be an offense that is entitled misdemeanor domestic violence. It simply needs to be an assault or an assault-related offense where the relationship between the offender and the victim is a familiar relationship that would qualify as a family member or as domestic violence. So as a result, there seems to be a recognition within the cases that we looked at that officers often received initial preferential charging decisions to escape being charged with an offense that would be a qualifying crime under the Lautenberg Amendment so that someone could not be able to carry a gun. And also in the plea bargains in the case, it seemed to be that there were some interesting things going on there. As to the Lautenberg Amendment, there's no exception for law enforcement if a law enforcement officer is actually convicted of a crime. There is an exception under the federal law if there is a no conviction yet, but an officer has a protection order filed against them in a a family violence situation. A judge does have the flexibility of issuing the order so that the officer is allowed to carry their gun at work, but not at any other time. I think the bottom line is, in in the preferential charges that we saw, it contributes to the hidden nature of OIDV as a problem because it becomes harder than to identify the perpetrator by just using the official charge. And then also, I think our research shows that there's holes in the federal laws designed to protect victims, especially family members or spouses of police officers who who perpetrate domestic violence in their families. And looking at the conviction data, we do have conviction data on 164 of the 324 cases that we analyzed in this research study. And it's some interesting things. In cases where an officer was charged with simple assault, only 43.9, so 44% of those officers were actually convicted of the crime. On the other hand, 100% of the officers who were charged with vandalism or uh, criminal mischief, destruction of property, 100% of those officers were convicted. And then when we look at some serious offenses in terms of sex offenses, forcible rape, forcible fondling, well over 80% of the officers convicted of those crimes, or actually the officers charged with those crimes were actually convicted. And for the 15 cases where we have either murder or non-negligent manslaughter, about 87% of those officers were convicted. Also with conviction data, it's interesting to point out that when we looked at the weapon that had been used 
in the incident resulting in arrest, if an officer used their hands or fist as a weapon in the incident, only about 46% of those officers were actually convicted of the crime. On the other hand, if they used some other body part, in other words, if they kicked somebody in a domestic family violence situation, 87% of those officers were convicted. And another thing that's an interesting finding is that in cases where an officer either used or threatened to use or brandished a personally owned gun, as opposed to a department-issued firearm, instances where there's a personally owned gun used in the case, 87.5% of those officers were actually convicted. And when the victim suffered a minor injury as a result of the incident, only 36% of those officers were convicted of their crimes. On the other hand, 83% of the officers were convicted if their victim suffered a serious injury. And in those instances where the victim's injuries were fatal, which was 14 cases, 87% of those officers were convicted. So the more serious the injury, more likely an officer's are going to be convicted. Also, if a child is the victim, about 75% of those officers were convicted. So that's something that the court seemed to take very seriously as well. The last thing we looked at in this study was making use of PACER records as a pilot study because there really isn't a whole lot of research in criminology and criminal justice that makes use of the PACER system. And the PACER system is the federal court's public access to court's electronic records uh, system. And it's a collection of databases, actually, that actually um, gives you the opportunity to have complete access to the case files in the clerks of courts in all of the U.S. district courts, also, also the bankruptcy courts and the appellate courts in the federal system as well. And a few years ago, the PACER system was extended and modified to add the ability to run name searches throughout the system, as opposed to having to go into specific district courts and, and look at things in a rather a cumbersome way. So with that, we realized that we really had something unique here. We have a, a large list of individual officers who've been arrested criminally. And what we looked at here was we wanted to know of these officers who were arrested. So we actually had we had 324 cases in this study, but 281 officers. We wanted to look at, of those 281 officers, how many of them at some point during their law enforcement career had been named as a party defendant, in other words, sued in a lawsuit in federal court for violating somebody's civil rights. And what we found was that 21% of the officers in our database who've been arrested for crime of family violence, so in other words, they were bad at home. They were charged with something resulting from criminal behavior, allegations of criminal behavior at home. We wanted to know, uh, were they also getting in trouble at work? So this is looked at as a correlate of police misconduct. And I think an interesting finding. The PACER records, I think, in the larger picture was exploratory, but it really offers a chance for researchers to put together a picture of an individual officer. And you know, our findings found that about 20% of the OIDV arrested officers also had been sued. And so this may provide police executives with a, another indicator of um, general police misconduct. And so in the future, PACER records can be used to cross-check names of arrestees, not only for domestic violence, but other types of police misconduct, and we can see whether there's significant associations uh, between different types of misconduct.